global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at NRIA.net. Data company IHS agreeing to buy market in a deal that values the combined firms at more than $13 billion. Starwood Hotels and Resorts Worldwide accepting an improved bid from Marriott International, valued at $13.6 billion. And topping an offer from a group of investors led by China's Angbang Insurance Company. Starwood is up more than 4% this morning. Marriott is down about 1%. U.S. stock index futures, meanwhile, a little change to lower S&P E-mini futures down 1.5 points. Dow E-mini futures down 10, and NASDAQ E-mini futures down 3.5. DAX in Germany is down 2 tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down 8.30 seconds. The yield 1.90 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.85 percent. NYMEX crude oil up half percent or 20 cents to 39.64 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 9 tenths percent or $11 to 12.43.30 an ounce. The euro, $1.1270. The yen, 111.54. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Uh, Karen, uh, thanks for mentioning the bond on three basis points. Higher yield, three basis points, 1.90%. Uh, percent. It is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Leonid Bershitsky, a columnist for Bloomberg View. I live in Berlin, and I'm Russian. But I've spent the last two months on the road covering the presidential primaries. I've noticed that all the candidates love to say that America's a great country, but they all mean completely different things. One thinks it means being an unbeatable bully. Another sees American greatness in its enterprise and ingenuity. A third talks about its capacity to lead the world in healthcare and education. My own vision of America's greatness is simpler and more visual. Everywhere, even in sparse rural areas, there's a bustle. This is the biggest economy in the world, and it feels like it. It feels like a great nation. I come from a country that used to be great as an empire and as a totalitarian state. Greatness was always a preoccupation of Russian rulers. Today's Russia would do well to focus on more mundane priorities. If only U.S. leaders could do that as well. But presidential candidates can't stop talking about American greatness or shed its burden. Until there's a consensus about what it means for America to be great, Every presidential election will be an attempt to settle the question. They are likely to be as contentious and as angry as this one. I am Leonid Bershitsky, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For more Bloomberg opinion and commentary, please go to BloombergView.com or view go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Mike, housing, housing, housing this week. Get a lot of housing numbers, uh, and you have to wonder how long housing continues to rise. Diane Swank uh, from DS Economics is with us. And, Diane, um, housing has been contributing for the last couple of years to GDP. Do we still see that in 2016? Yeah, we still see it. One of the interesting issues, though, and this really gets back to the labor market issues, is where has housing really fallen short? It's fallen short in the prime age categories of sort of 40- and 50-year-olds owning homes now. Home ownership rates in those categories has fallen, along with other categories, but that's really your prime age for owning homes. And remember, we also lost some ground in labor force participation rates among those groups as well. So these aren't people that just maybe had a home and then lost a home. They're also people who aged into the 
age bracket and then couldn't afford to buy a home with the new hurdles out there, some deservedly so. But I think it's really interesting if you look at the demographics alone, you would actually expect to see higher homeownership rates today than we did in, say, 2000, which is against what most people would have expected if you just look at the household formation and the demographics. But if you look more broadly at everything from the economics, which we know have not been terrific, but also social trends. In addition to the, the sort of age group not participating as much, particularly among men in the labor force, and that's only beginning to come back, we've also seen women who now have a higher chance of getting a college degree than a man. That is a flip-flop from what it used to be. Those college-educated women tend to stay single longer. They're a little more choosy yeah. about who they pick as mates, and they stay renters longer, too. Well, exactly. They stay renters. One of the great stories floating around, Diane, is is almost the price discrimination of housing and that we talk about housing as a general idea, yet there's stupid priced housing, expensive <laughs> housing, sort of expensive housing, and not expensive housing. And to me, the gaps have never been wider right. in affordability in some of those deciles or quartiles. That's exactly right, and that's one of the things. Affordability is the number one issue. There isn't a lot of first-time buyer homes out there. There's not a lot of rental property. We've rent, we've built a lot in the luxury and the high-end apartments, and in fact, in many of the major markets now, there's a lot of people looking out there at the supply coming on, even in places like Chicago, my own backyard here, where now the luxury rentals are going to see a decline in rents after a rapid overshoot um, in recent years because of everyone thought everyone's going to be high-end renters. Well, not right. Would, to be a high-end renter. would you suggest that public policy can steer home production towards where it's needed, or is that a fallacy? <laughs> well, we've seen that. Unfortunately, it's gotten it's not um, not always ended up. I'm sorry to laugh, but we did see it in the boom. And now that worked out. Yeah, real well. Um, I do think that there is a role for policy, but not, you know, policy has become this dirty word. We don't get policy in this country anymore, and I think that's part of what you heard about the opinions of is America great or not, and what does greatness mean. There's no one talking about serious policy options out there. We no longer execute serious policy options. We've been in gridlock for years now in Washington, and I think, unfortunately, that's given us an ability to sort of talk about policy in a very um, sort of grand way that's not at all realistic. And we're seeing that in, ter- in terms of insults instead of issues by the candidates as well. There is a role for policy, but that said, there's also where, why do we have so little affordable housing? In part because zoning laws have um, tightened up quite a bit, and this is nothing surprising. I mean, in some areas it's because of legitimate pollution, pollution issues and people concerned about that, but it's also because those people are in certain places, don't want you to build anymore because they want the value of their land to go up. Well, it's sort of shutting the door after they get in, and that is a real big issue in many of these areas is you can't get inexpensive um, inexpensive land. We are seeing in places outside of Los Angeles, which we'll call exurbia, really far out, that we thought we'd never develop again. Guess what? With lower gas prices, you're now seeing some developers develop way far out, very affordable housing, because it is where they can actually sell some housing as well. San Francisco, a prime example of not oh, having yeah. housing. Uh, there's a whole movement that's uh, rising there called Build More Blank Blank Housing. Uh, uh, and and people don't want to because they're already there and they don't want to destroy the character of it. Uh, the rest and also of the, the value of what they've got. 
The, the, Remember, it's supply yeah. and demand, right? Pretty simple economics. <laughs> Let's withhold supply. The rest of the country, we operated under the theory for many, many years, and Alan Greenspan admitted this got him into trouble, that uh, it was not one housing market. It was many, many different housing markets. And then it was one housing market, and it all collapsed. Uh, where are we now? Are, are we back to differentiating between housing markets, and are there some that you, you, well, you know, you know it's, it's a good point because this was also the truth, you know, the truth globally. It was a global housing boom. It happened across the world. And so what was the commonality? We saw it in the UK. We saw it in Spain. Spain and the UK were showing signs of a bubble before anyone else. And yet no one would, um, sort of acknowledge it. And what was the commonality across the world? Well, even though you do have individual markets where, say, a lot of foreign investors come in, like London or New York, and buy up and bid up the housing prices in those areas and may or may not live in them, actually. You also have the flip side of what is the commonality? Low interest rates. We had low interest rates and easy mortgage standards the world over, and that was something with the commonality. It didn't matter where you lived. You could get it. It was easier to buy a home. Yeah. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind. Diana, the time we've got left, it's been a theme this morning. We touched on this with Ben Emmons of Leader Capital. The basic idea that whether we like it or not, our economists are becoming nominal GDP-based economists in that there's this fixation now on inflation dynamics. Real GDP is moldy. So are we, are we almost talking our way into a nominal analysis combining economic dynamics with price dynamics? You know, it's interesting you bring that up because, of course, the flip side was true back in the early 1980s when we yeah. had double-digit inflation. We all, you know, it's when we started talking about things in real terms because it mattered. And so this is a moving target. I think the problem, the real issue is what are we measuring and how are we measuring it accurately? And one of the real concerns I have is that we've neglected a lot of our measurements in the government statistics. And it's not that there's a conspiracy because, frankly, these people wouldn't, if you sit around with them, there's no conspiracy there at all. Um, they've been they're, they're bureaucrats, but on the other side of it, they have been starved for financial um, funding. Right. And many the housing survey, for instance, the um, personal consumption expenditure for what we spend on shelter, it's based on a 2001 benchmark. The world has changed a lot. Exactly. Diane and Swank. this is what I worry about the most. Diane Swank, DS Economics. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much uh, for a great Monday uh, briefing. Michael, um, is that why you gave me the, the sedatives? Yes, I knew you'd be Earlier excited. Earlier here. I knew you would be excited. Uh, and it's only going to get better. It's snowing out. So what are we going to talk about next? <sighs> Baseball. The Boston Red Sox. Sam Kennedy. Talk the business of baseball, and Tom, well, you can you can get all depressive, manic depressive. I just want to know about third base. <laughs> you know? I mean, he wants to talk about StubHub and in taking over Pedro the Sandoval. digital. I, I he grew up in Brookline, Massachusetts. He must be as depressed as I am. Well, they had a couple of bad years. Now they get back into it. Who knows? What can you say? Uh, you have to up. take us out. I, yeah. I can't talk. <laughs> Tom, it's still spring training, but uh, a lot of folks uh, tabbing the Red Sox to be in contention for the American League pennant this year. We'll talk with Red Sox President Sam Kennedy next on Surveillance.